Hello, welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke. And I'm Jay. Welcome to the podcast. Today's topic, Stargate, the 1994 film from director Roland Emmerich. The film is the first entry in the Stargate franchise and stars Kurt Russell, James Spader, Jay Davidson, Alexis Cruz, Millie Avatar and Vivica Lindfors. This is your warning. We will be talking spoilers. Another movie I saw at the cinema as a child. Um, well, as a child, yeah, 10 years old. Uh, like, I remember when the trailer of this dropped, it was like a whole bunch of stuff in my brain got yanked out and put onto the screen just for me. I'm like, oh, we have to see this. Thankfully, it was a sci-fi action movie. So my dad was... Also Kane, as was my brother. But um Knowing you, Jay, this movie has your name written all over it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh action yeah, 90s action movie, Kurt Russell, um science fiction stuff, some alternate history kind of stuff going on. Funnily enough, I've never watched the TV series that followed. Uh, hang no, hang on. <laughs> no way. You have never seen yeah. Stargate SG One. No, I've I've watched. I've caught like a handful of episodes before, like all out of sequence, like here or there. And I've had people talk to me about it in like the the ninth degree, and it's just been a whole bunch of me like nodding my head, like uh huh, uh huh, uh huh, like all of it gobbledygook. Um, I did watch all of Stargate Universe, but I'm like, having watched no Stargate Atlantis, none of the movies, basically none of Stargate SG-1, but people were like, oh, this new series is about to start. It'll be like a jumping on point. I'm like, oh, yeah, no worries. It got two seasons cancelled. Hasn't been anything since. I'm like, oh, I was there for the end. In the very beginning, missed all of the meat. <laughs> in Universe, that was the one with Robert Carlyle. Honestly, I didn't think we would be talking about SG-1 as early as this. I'm I'm still shocked hearing that you've never seen it because just like this movie, for me, has your name written all over it, so does yeah. the show. So obviously oh, yeah, here, on paper, it's everything I'd want. <laughs> Yes, on a weekly basis, like Star yeah. Trek, the show that yeah. you love. We don't want to get too bogged down with SG-1 because, of course, that is the TV spin-off slash reboot. You know, it's these characters for the most part, but different, and it's a whole other thing. Neil, two L's. Yes, that is. And that is, a, that is a gag in a couple of episodes. SG-1 is... For me, a rare example of a whether it's you know a spin-off, whatever, of an original that I prefer. Now, we being a TV show, some episodes are better than other, and a handful of episodes might not even be that good. And this is coming from a guy who is a big Kurt Russell fan, sci-fi on the big screen. I love it. But Stargate SG-1, Richard Dean Anderson as O'Neill, pitch perfect. Very different to what we're getting with 
this movie. When we first meet this Jack O'Neill, so he's a Korea US Air Force Special Operations Officer. Yeah, that sounds like O'Neill on TV. But what we're getting from this movie is a guy who is suffering a period of suicidal depression after his son accidentally shoots and kills himself with his own gun or with O'Neill's gun, which is horrific. And that's where this movie starts. You know, this character is in a very, very dark place on TV. Richard Dean Anderson is pretty happy-go-lucky, is quippy, is good. You know, weapons, hand-to-hand combat, all of that. The show is a different thing. And really, it's only O'Neill and Dr. Daniel Jackson on TV and the rest of the characters are brand new. I'd recommend it to you, but it's not currently streaming anywhere. I thought... You can get just this first season on Prime if you buy it. But yeah, just it's not season the same one. thing. I'm not like, the same thing. I mean, you can go, doesn't... you can go on iTunes and and buy it digitally. But what I mean is, it's not streaming for the longest time. Yeah. Prime Video did have it available. This movie is MGM. I'm pretty sure the TV yeah. show is as well. We know Amazon have purchased MGM. They've started releasing movies as MGM Amazon original movies, but SG One. It's tied up somewhere. So I'd recommend that you watch it, but you'd have to buy it. You can't just stream it. But again, we don't want to get bogged down. We're here to talk about the Roland Emmerich movie, Stargate, and a film that was written by Dean Devlin. You know, these guys, I think they've worked together again. I'm pretty sure they have since this film, but Devlin, he agreed to do the film because he'd always wanted to do a Lawrence of Arabia in space. So he helped Emmerich develop the story. And that's definitely, you know, what what this movie is. I mean, it takes place over three different time periods, but as soon as they go through the Stargate, sand. Yeah. Pyramids. That's pretty much what you get. Yeah, and the set design, the costume design on this movie has dated exceptionally well. Um, again, pra- mostly practical effects because it's 1994. Um, the, the use of miniatures for the, the town, the people through the Stargate live at, like the whole the tallest building was like four feet. That's how they got all those sweeping shots and stuff. But yeah, proper, fully built, fleshed out sets. It was filmed in Arizona, um, in Buttercup Valley. It looks great. And also James Spader. Like, I think this may have been the first thing I ever saw James Spader in. Hilariously, because growing up in the 80s, you think it would have been like Pretty in Pink. But I never saw Pretty in Pink in the 80s. I saw this before I saw that. <laughs> I probably saw that in, in the 90s, like a lot of John Hughes movies. I mean, yeah. I wasn't even 10 in the 80s. So when I was old enough, yeah. it was probably the early, mid-90s. Yeah, this is probably the first time that I noticed James Spader. 
as well. Um, just going back to what you were saying there, so just about the the miniatures. So the the approach to the special effects on on this film, and it wasn't until I was doing prep for this I was like, really? See, there's a lot of crowd scenes in this movie. There's sounds, there's pyramids. Well, what I didn't realize, many of the crowd scenes feature mannequins as they were cheaper than extras. There's other scenes where they didn't even use mannequins. They dressed up scarecrows to resemble people in in large yeah. crowds. I mean, even, you know, when you've got the, the horse-like creatures... The real horses with external costumes draped over them. They also used dogs, dressed them up a little bit. I mean, we should point out that this is a movie that had a budget of fifty-five million. So at the were, time was quite big. Yeah, but at the same time, though, they're doing a lot with what they've got. I mean, box office they went on to make one hundred ninety-six point six million. And then had like many spin-offs and and all of that. But yeah, I mean it's a film that did receive mixed reviews with its atmosphere, story, characters, and graphic content both praised and criticized. So it wasn't like an automatic hit. Yeah. It I actually read um James Spader when he first got the script hated it but because the paycheck was so good he did it anyway but he was also so intrigued by how bad it was he wanted to have lunch with roland emmerich because he was like it's actually so bad it's actually got me intrigued i need to know more and he goes uh it turns out that he'd been sent like the early draft um but yeah uh he you know he's he'd talked about it since very bluntly of like i'm an actor it's it's like working in a coal mine you know, like I love, I do it because I'm passionate. But I, if what well, gets well, the well, if something out comes along the, my desk and I'm available, I do it because it's my job. And sometimes you do it for the money, and I got paid. I needed and that's, money, and that's it. Yeah, so partly <laughs> need, needed the money, but I think yeah. After reading the script, finding it well to be awful. Yeah, what's that meeting with Emmerich? And they're like, well, making this movie could be a bit of an adventure so therefore it could appear as an adventure on screen so that's kind of his approach and what happened with kurt russell who turned down the film at least once turned it down they accidentally sent him the first draft who roland emmerich himself admitted wasn't actually very good so they sent him the wrong version but fortunately he did sign on. So again, you know, I love what they did on TV. It's a different take on the character, but it's Kurt Russell in a sci-fi on an alien world going through a Stargate. I mean, what's not to like? And he's got, you know, there's the parallel between him losing a son and then he's got like not quite an adopted son, but he sees something in one of the young boys on the planet. And there's yeah. a bit of a father figure to him and a bit of like a, mentor so that's all working going back to dr daniel jackson though an actor who was offered to play the role but turned it down was rick moranis yeah and this is 94 so the two films that he turned down stargate for 
the Flintstones, which, if I'm honest, I do like. Yeah. <laughs> and the other one was Little Giants, the G-rated sports movie with Ed O'Neill. Oh, it's fun. That's a fun movie. That. Yeah, it's was pretty it? good. Didn't he? It, it turn out that he was like, oh wait, no, that was a different baseball movie. Never mind. As well, because didn't it turn out that he ended up being the bully. Like, he, but it, it was funny because he was like the little guy. Like, no, no, no that different was the Spider one, I think. But they, <laughs> but yeah, they're, um, they're siblings in Little Giants. Currently yeah. streaming on Netflix, which is where yeah. where I watched it. But yeah, that's that would have been. Very different. I think they definitely got the right cast. Like having Kurt Russell and James Spader as the mm. two stars of this movie. Like, you know, you'd associate Kurt Russell with high concept sci-fi action. Um, yeah. You know, whether it's Big Trouble Little China. Yeah. He took Tango and Cash. Well, he, we know his back catalogue. Yeah. And then pairing him with somebody like James Spader, who you wouldn't think sci-fi action adventure. Yeah. Yeah, someone who who very much sells the uh, smartest person in the room, book smarts, um, like the the point of view character for us as the, the audience. Um, they they they're chalk and cheese, and that's why it works. It's you know like the and even the headspace. He's thinking like, "Wow, what an adventure, and what an amazing thing to be able to witness." And Kurt Russell's like. This could be dangerous. I'm going to go through there and make sure nothing else comes, nothing comes and finds us. Like completely different ends of the spectrum in terms of how they view it. And you know, Kurt Russell's piercing blue eyes, like <laughs> looking in the camera in the desert. Like you know, he 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 looks cold. He's got that. He's when he's looking at like the uh, the young uh, native kid, and you can see like. Like you said, there's a, a, almost a surrogate father thing going on there. You can see the emotion, but for everything else, you can see like the cold of like, this is my mission. This work's going to take, and I'm going to get it done, whatever it takes. Like, there's that, that finality in his eyes for the majority of the film, which works really well. He, I think you even see him smile, like well, for most of the movie. He's what's very, interesting. Like, What's interesting, yeah, but with O'Neill, so when his commission is reactivated, he willingly enters the Stargate, fully aware that he will likely not survive or return to it. Like, say he goes in knowing that he's always thinking he's going to be staying behind. Circumstances, you know, that's not what ends up happening, but he's like, right, I'm going to do this, but I'm not coming back. But then it's like I say, he's like the tough guy, you know, he's military, and you've got Spader, is Daniel Jackson. Not only is he wearing glasses, he's got allergies, he's sneezing. <laughs> it's like you, you said it, chalk and cheese. That's definitely what's going on there. I didn't know about the actor Jay Davidson. He's the guy playing Ra, a powerful alien in human form. So what's going on with this actor, right? So he disliked the attention that he received after the crying game two years prior in 92, that made him reluctant to take on the role of Ra in Stargate. He didn't want to just turn the offer down. So he made what he expected to be an an unacceptable demand of $1 million. This was accepted. So therefore he appeared 
But he then retired from acting after the completion of this film. And since 1994, he's only appeared in a 17-minute movie that came out in 2009. So I don't know what's going on with this guy. But he did The Crying Game. He did this movie, a short movie. That is it. But going back to the special effects, Ra's glowing eye effect was added in post-production because test audiences didn't think he was alien enough. And then the trait was continued in SG-1 as an identifier to people who are taken over by the gold. And that's not referenced in this movie, but symbiote's gold. It's a whole thing on the TV show. That's what the alien parasites are. So it's like test screenings are like, he doesn't look like an alien. So they added the glowing eyes. They modulated his voice which apparently the actor then liked when he got to see the finished film. Until that part, he was concerned that maybe they'd not made a good movie. But yeah, this guy like is such a big part of this film. He'd done the crying game prior, but pretty much that's it. He's done. Yeah, it's like, I'm out. This acting game's not for me. Yeah, it's, it's really quite quite odd. And we've got... Vivica Lindfors is Dr. Catherine Langford. She's the civilian leader of the Stargate project who was present when the Stargate was uncovered in Geyser in 1928. So yeah. that was when her father gave her the amulet depicting the eye of Ra. And we get a young Catherine earlier in the film as well. Yeah. Also, Jamon Honsu as one of the, uh, the followers of Ra, Horace. Like, this is, this is, Gotta be his like first American movie. This is like he's a nobody this, in this. Yeah, this is his first film. Years later, he did Amistad for Steven Spielberg. Yeah, for Emmerich and Devlin, they had him first in this. Yeah, yeah, and French Stewart from uh, Third Rock from the Sun. Like it's like his first big credit. Like it's it's crazy. I mean, this is his film debut. He would later go on to play Inspector Gadget in Inspector Gadget 2 for Disney when Matthew Broderick wouldn't return. I always find yeah. it weird, as recent as this rewatch, seeing French Stewart in this film, where he yeah. is a human going to an alien world. But for me, I think Third Rock from the Sun, where he was an alien yeah, coming to a human world. Yeah. <laughs> he's completely backwards. And... He's like the he's like the asshole like military guy, like not the bungling like doofus of the scientific outfit, like the alien outfit. Yeah, it's it's a complete reversal from how most people know him. Yeah, it re- it really is. It it takes me out of it a little bit when I see French Stewart, but you know he's you know he's an actor. He's acting. He's doing his thing. But when Third Rock from the Sun came out. John Lithgow, like Joseph Gordon Lovett, Jenka, and Wayne Knight. Oh, you could just keep going. That is such a good show. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Yeah. I remember they put out a special on VHS that came with 3D glasses. And there were certain parts in the episode where it had instructed you to put the glasses on. Anyway, I I loved that show. So for me, I always think that show. Whenever I see French Stewart, including 
in this movie, but he's perfectly fine. He's doing nothing wrong. It's just yeah. this more successful thing that he had after this movie that I that I think of. You know, when yeah. I think Stargate, you know, again, I've said it, sand, pyramids, all of that is the score. It is the music. And the composer on this was David Arnold. You'd know him from five James Bond films, Independence Day in 96, Godzilla in 98. He did the TV series Little Britain and Sherlock. Most recently, he did Good Omens, which is an which was adapted by Neil Gaiman from his book Good Omens, written with Terry Pratchett. So they're really good credentials. What's really interesting, though, to this film was the second motion picture score that he had composed and the first major one. At the time of production, he'd recently started working in a video shop in London. <laughs> that is what he was doing. Once hired, that is crazy. <laughs> he spent several months in a hotel room working on the soundtrack, spending more time rewriting the music and improving it during delays due to film companies trying to get the rights to distribution. So this was an in-demand movie, and he's scrambling, he's working on, on the soundtrack, on the score, and he was trying to make it big, epic, and that's definitely where he landed. But when I yeah. hear his name, I do think James Bond. That's where yeah. I first saw him, and then, you know, Roland Embrick connection between Independence Day and Godzilla – but just to hear, he was working in a video shop when he first yeah. got the film is is incredible. Yeah, it's mental, isn't it? Like, what what happened if he didn't get hired for this? Does he never compose? Does he just end up, like, working typical nine-to-five jobs? I mean, in a world of streaming, I don't think he's working in a video rental shop anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's but it's... Is epic. So, I mean, I absolutely love the score. And the last time I'll mention SG1, I don't know if he worked on that at all, but it's definitely his music for the opening title sequence. Yeah. It's like straight away, like that Stargate. Yeah. Absolutely. There's no mistaking it for anything else. I absolutely love the score of this film. Yeah. Um, I love a lot of this film. As I said, the costumes, the design, uh, the acting. This, again, the first thing I'd ever seen James Spader in, and he immediately made an impression. Um, Kurt Russell, I'd already seen countless things of his in the 80s, like Tango and Cash, Big Trouble in Little China. It was the 80s. They let kids watch those sorts of movies. Honestly, I mean, I... I wish they'd done a comic book for Tango and Cash, but they never did. I I love that yeah. film so much. So don't expect a Tango and Cash review anytime soon, but that is yeah. such a great movie. Stallone, Russell, together. Yeah. So, so good. But yeah, this movie, it just, it works. I mean, plot-wise, it's pretty straightforward. I mean, it is, you know, obviously... A high concept, but essentially you've got Dr. Daniel Jackson. He's asked to decode hieroglyphs discovered and confiscated by the military. His findings lead to the activation of the Stargate, a portal that leads to an 
otherworldly realm. They go there, they come back, or Daniel stays. Yeah, he's found a happy place, which makes sense for him. They explain early in the movie uh, when he he's getting approached to work on the Stargate project that all of his grants have run out and he's just been evicted from his apartment. So he's not got a lot to go back to. But in this world, he's saved these people. He's got a wife. <laughs> he's had these adventures. He's uh, he's feeling pretty good about himself. I don't. I'm not surprised he decides to stay. <laughs> it's also the sort of they don't do endings like this anymore. Like you've had a complete role reversal. The guy who was just there for the adventure and return home stays, and the guy who went there to stay to die goes home. Like, it's, yeah, it's a, it's poet. It's it works really well. Um, that's the character journeys. They've all, both ended up at the other side. It does, but like if they were going to make this film today, brand new, Daniel's not staying there because they'd want to leave it open for a sequel. And '94, yeah. they were obviously making sequels to films, but not all films. Some films yeah. were just a one and done. And and again, with different distribution companies wanting Stargate, like it was obviously popular. You know, people recognized that there was potential in this, but it wasn't until SG1, damn it, mentioned it again, but it wasn't until SG1 that they did something else with Stargate, but it was a reboot. Yeah. So they were able to just completely start afresh. But yeah, there is something nice about having this movie as a a one and done and you're right just the the character motivation and just reversing like one character thought he was absolutely going to stay behind and ends up being the other character yeah oh, there's so much to like about stargate but if you're going to rate it out of five you're going to come in high um Probably a 4.5 out of 5. Um, really enjoy the movie. I think it's aged very well. Um, the music, as again, the set design and the special effects have aged quite well. Um, the the fact that they had the, the humans on the other world speak a different language, which was a, a, a sort of a splintering off of ancient Egyptian um, which some of the cast members in the spare time, they spoke to each other in ancient Egyptian to keep fresh and be more comfortable with it for the dialogue scenes. Um, all of it. I, I I think it's aged really well. And it's I've always had a soft spot for it. I, it's always appealed to me. Um, and I've never watched it and thought, ah, oh, this is dated. I've always just... Sat through it, enjoyed it, never bothered looking at my clock, my watch, and then it's ended. I'm like, wow. And then had the thought, maybe I should watch Dark SG One. Oh wait, no, can't find it anywhere. <laughs> also, there's like a million seasons. <laughs> well, that's the thing I was going to suggest on the back of this. Like, hey, let's review Stargate SG One, but it is ten seasons. It is two hundred and thirteen episodes. I mean, it was on the air for ten years. 97 until 2007. So that's interesting. So obviously this movie came out in 94. It wasn't until 97 we got SG-1, then obviously Atlantis, Universe. And they tried to bring it back a couple of times 
since like there was like a a web series that they did not too long ago and then they think they repackaged it as as a tv movie that was um stargate origins in 2018 yeah so it has been a while five years since anything new stargate but i've got to think right although sg1 isn't on prime Prime now owns MGM in its entire back catalogue, which includes Stargate. Maybe it's Prime. Be a matter of time. Because look, Paramount have Star Trek. Disney yeah. have Star Wars. Prime already have, they've got Lord of the Rings, which I guess would be their equivalent of Game of Thrones, which, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, um, that's interesting. So maybe... Prime will give us some more, more Stargate. I am going to come in. What did you say? Four point five. Yeah, I'm going to come in at a four, a solid four. I've always liked this movie, but I really do love SG One. I'm going to stop saying I won't mention it because I'm clearly going to keep <laughs> mentioning it. it. It's such a great show, like so much fun. Um, but this movie, it's never not enjoyable. You know, you mentioned, you know, that the costumes, uh, just, I mean, the concept, everything about this just works. Like, it's perfect for a reinvention. Uh, you know, give us another Jack O'Neill. Like, we've had two already. And just start yeah. the whole thing again. But this film, so much to like. The look of it, um, that David Arnold score is phenomenal. The pairing of... Kurt Russell, James Spader, they play off each other so well. It's just so interesting that they both read what they thought was an awful script. And it's like, well, <laughs> we're doing it. Let's make the most of it. And, and it's the film that we got. And it's an early Roland Emmerich film. We recently reviewed Universal Soldier. After this movie, I mean, it went on to bigger and bigger movies, like billion-dollar movies. Uh, yeah. But Stargate is definitely a highlight for me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's it for episode all about Stargate. If you'd like to contact us about this episode or suggest a topic for an upcoming episode, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast. You've been listening to Luke and Jay, the guys from Sounds Like Comics. See you soon. <laughs>